Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. And so I thought I'd share a few thoughts um, for all of us as a church and to say to us, let's not be weird about Christmas and it goes deeper than that. It goes into what we believe and what we understand about the gospel. Is that okay? We're going to dispel some myths. I'll talk next week about whether or not Christmas really should be on the 25th of December. You know, what are the origins of the Christmas trees? Um, you know, all of those discussions that people have. Should we have, should we tell our kids about Father Christmas or should we, shouldn't we? Um, I'm going to dispel some of the myths. And hopefully we can get one step closer to a mature biblical approach that helps us to build bridges with our world and share the love of Jesus with more people. I'm going to start by explaining two scriptures. If you have your Bibles here this morning, uh, you can turn to these scriptures or follow along with us on the screen. And the first one is Matthew 23 and verse 24. Matthew 23, 24. You're going to look at this and go, where is he going with this scripture? Um, and how does it apply to Christmas? I'm going to explain it in a moment. But Matthew 23, 24 Jesus is speaking to the religious Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day, leading others in their walk and their relationship with God, and he calls them blind. He says, you blind leaders, you're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You're straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Secondly, Psalm 24 verse one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth belongs to God. Everything in it belongs to Him, and all the people belong to Him. Coming to that first scripture, have any of you here ever eaten an ant accidentally? Some of you are still not sure. You may or may not have at some point in your life. Um, I remember once uh, I was a youth pastor and I was heading off to a Friday night service and I was worried that I might be a little bit hungry. So I quickly made myself a sandwich, chucked all my things in my bag, rushed off to church. Halfway through just my preparation, sitting at my desk, I pulled out the sandwich and I ate half of it. And then I looked down at it and I realized it had like little speckles on it. And when I examined it a little bit closer, I realized that the panini press that I had at home obviously had had some ants on it. And so to their detriment, I, you know, toasted them along with my sandwich. And so I basically had a ham, cheese, and ant sandwich. Um, and I was grateful for the protein. But, but ants are fairly easy to eat. You don't notice it when you eat one. And in the same way, when we come to this first scripture um, in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is, is talking about an insect um, called a gnat, which is just a little bit bigger than an ant. And um, in those days, gnats would often fly into the wine. They'd get into the vats of wine. They'd get into the, the cups of wine. And a gnat under the law, under the Old Testament laws that the Jews had to follow in Leviticus 11, gnats are listed as an unclean animal. And so the Jews were these really serious religious people. The, the Pharisees were the leaders of these, and, and, and the Pharisees were so worried that they would accidentally transgress and break the law, that when they drank wine, in order to not accidentally drink an unclean animal in the form of a gnat, they would strain the wine through their own teeth. So they would, sip, they would close their teeth and sip the wine through their teeth in order to strain out the gnats. Can you imagine sitting across the table from a Pharisee at a wedding 
and you're just like, dude, you got something in your, you just like, it's all over the place, you know, just like gnats everywhere. This is how specific they were on following the law. They would nitpick or natpick in this, in this instance, right? They would make sure that we follow meticulously every law and everything and, and let's make sure that we're holy and righteous and true and, and we follow the law uh, to the tiniest point. But Jesus calls them blind. He says, you're so careful about all these tiny little things, but then you miss the big things. What were the big things that the Pharisees, that the religious people were missing? They didn't have love. They didn't have compassion. They didn't have, com- they didn't have kindness. They, they, they didn't represent God's heart in any way. And so Jesus is like, yes, you nitpick on all the little gnats and all the little meticulous things, but then you're swallowing camels whole. And camels were also an unclean animal to eat. And so, I mean, you could eat a gnat and not even know, but generally when you swallow a camel, you'd notice, right? And Jesus is like, you're not just chewing on this camel, you're swallowing it whole. What is Jesus saying? He's saying you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Before you start worrying about the gnats, can you worry about the things that really matter? And it's the same when it comes to Christmas. It's the same when it comes to Easter. It's the same when it comes to Christmas decorations and trees and whether or not they're where they originate and all these things that we'll look at. You know, what, what Jesus is saying is that you're worried about the Christmas tree and whether or not that has some pagan origin, but at the same time, you're not even living like a Christian. You're not even loving the people around you. Have you met religious people? How many of you walk away from a conversation with a really religious person going, oh, I feel so refreshed and encouraged, right? In general, you don't. In general, religious people are not nice. Self-righteous people are not nice. Pharisees are not nice. They don't, they don't add to your virtue. If anything, they take away. If anything, they rob you of your strength and discourage you. And this is what Jesus is addressing here. He's pointing out how blinded self-righteous people, religious people are when they try to observe all these little legalistic principles while at the same time missing the heart of the gospel. And that makes us not nice. And that's why Jesus had a major problem with the Pharisees because the ones that were supposed to represent God instead misrepresented Him. But more than that, and please excuse my voice today, uh, we had a family golf tournament and I played really bad golf, so I shouted at my golf ball a lot. Um, it didn't work. Anyways, but, but what being a religious person does, a person that, that focuses, that majors on the minors, is that it turns you into an avoider. It's all about separating yourself from, from everything that is a potential threat to your fragile faith. You avoid feasts, you avoid Christmas, you avoid Easter, you avoid giving gifts, you avoid people, certain foods, and generally, religious people avoid fun. For them, there is a devil behind every bush and a serpent in every patch of grass. And they do this forgetting that God created both the bush and the grass. And they're good things. They're things to be enjoyed. 
So what they really do is they avoid the gospel. When religion creeps into our relationship with God, it becomes all about other things instead of Him. And when the focus is on us, our focus becomes conforming others to our ideals. And so you'll notice that those who, usually those that don't celebrate Christmas, that don't want to have a tree in their home, will judge everybody else that does have it and won't go to a church. Can you imagine that people would outright leave our church if we put a Christmas tree up here? She's like, I'm offended. I'm gonna leave. It's like, you know, if only we were as passionate about reaching the lost, about serving and about giving as we were about getting offended. Like if we could apply the same amount of passion to, to our views on these silly things, this rubbish. If we could just apply that same amount of passion to giving and to serving and to reaching the lost, we wouldn't have space in this building, not if we filled it 10 times on a Sunday. But Christians are experts at being criticism or being critiques, being armchair critics, while at the same time not even being in the game. And that's why I'm saying let's not be weird. Let's not focus on the minors. Let's focus on what really matters. This is why it irritates me so much. Because we take the robust, world-conquering, death-defeating sacrifice of Jesus, and we turn it into something that can be toppled by the presence of a fake tree with some tinsel and flickering lights. You're really going to put a tree with flickering lights up against the cross and say one is a threat to the other. Like, what are we talking about? How could, we, how could this even be a conversation? The second th- reason why it frustrates me, and, and this is something that, you know, that I usually would challenge people on. If they say, you know, they, they're not going to have, and, and, and let me say this, okay, before people think I'm being way too harsh. I'm talking to our church. I want our church not to be weird about Christmas. I'm hoping we can take a step towards maturity. But Paul does speak about people who are offended in their conscience by these kinds of things, including, uh, you know, what is drunk and what is eaten and what is, um, you know, what, what cele- feasts are celebrated. And he calls their faith weak. And he says we should love them and we should you know, bear with them. And so, and so we do do that. And so even though I'm speaking very straight, I'm speaking to my own church this morning and, uh, and we have grace for people that are still struggling in this area. But for us, you know, one of the things that I would challenge people then on is consistency. Like if you're going to be that careful about following the law or being weary of anything that has a pagan origin to it, then you need to hold fast to that across it all. James says, if you're going to follow the law, if you break one law, you've broken them all. You're guilty of all. So people that say, no, we must follow the law of God. I say, great. When last did you break the neck of a goat down by the river when there was an unsolved murder in your city? Because let me tell you, there are not enough goats in Joburg, right? Because that's part of the law. Are you going to follow the law? Are you going to, are you going to choose, pick and choose which ones you're going to follow? The law says that you should have a fence around the roof of your house, lest anybody sleeping on your roof, for those of you that have people sleep on your roof, roll off and their blood be on your house because you didn't put a fence up. That's a law. So don't tell me you're going to follow the law, but you don't have fences around your roof because then you're not being faithful. If you want to live by the law, go ahead, but then do it properly. And we, you know, I challenge people on this in terms of 
consistency as well. Because people say they won't celebrate Christmas because of its origins that lie within pagan feasts, and we'll get to that a bit more in a moment. But if you won't engage with anything that has origins in paganism, then the first thing that you have to give up is the names of the days of the week. Because they're all named after pagan deities. Saturn, for example, uh, the Roman god Saturn, is where we get the word Saturday from. So please let me know what you're going to be renaming your Saturday as and just send us the code so we know when to meet you when you give us the name of your days. The months of the year are all named after pagan gods. June, for example, is, is the goddess Juno. Are you gonna come up with new names for the month of the year? If people say, no, I won't celebrate Christmas on the 25th of December because that's not even the day that Jesus was born. I'm like, okay, cool. So what's your date? Are you not gonna celebrate it at all? You won't celebrate Jesus' birthday at all because you don't know the exact date? The 25th of December doesn't work for you? What, what's your date? Pick, pick one in April. Okay, so now everybody must go for that date because you feel it's better. What's your historical reference for that? You see, people get caught up with this kind of nonsense and they are unable to be consistent. Here's one that's gonna hurt. For a lot of us living here in four ways, you know, living in, in this greater Santon area, this one's gonna hurt. Do you know that most of the food at Woolies is halal certified? Which might not be, you know, food sacrificed to idols like they did in the day, but it's pretty much as close as you can get since it's been prepared according to the religious or sacred texts of another religion. And even the bread and the milk and the dairy products and the meat and the chicken at Woolies is halal certified. So if you don't celebrate Christmas, why are you shopping at Woolies, you Grinch? No, be consistent. Be consistent. Hold to it if that's what you're going to stand on. Here's the point, though. Culture is such a dynamic thing. You know, for all of the centuries, one nation and one tradition and one, uh, you know, country and, 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 and culture has intertwined with the cultures around it, has picked things up. We, we live in a world that has information and access to information on unprecedented levels. And influence comes from all over. But this is not a new thing for us, though. Throughout the ages, there have been contexts, there have been cultures. They are interwoven with the story of human history. So where do we draw the line? What parts of culture are we allowed to embrace? And what parts of culture must we reject? Like many of us are wearing shorts in church or even just jeans. You know, why don't we just go back to a Bible culture and we can get those, I don't know what you call them, but those like man dresses. Why don't we have man dresses? Are man, you know, the church did it, so are man dresses holy, but jeans are unholy? Unless you have holy jeans, like some of you guys. Sorry. Um, where do we draw the line on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable? So we can wear jeans in church, but we can't have Christmas trees. You see how just this becomes just a mess when we begin to be so silly about these things? What is sacred and what is secular? And who gets to make the call? Let me, let, let me show you an example. How many of you have ever said that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? 
Like you've believed that, you've sung it in a song, you've said he is the King of Kings, maybe when you were praying, Jesus, you're the King of Kings, you're the Lord of Lords. Come on, we've all said that. And that's good to say. It's in the Bible. I mean, 1 Timothy 6.14 says it like this, our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display in the, at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But the only thing with that statement that many people don't realize is that that's not the first time that a king or that a person living on this earth decided to take that title. In fact, that title uh, goes back three, 400 years BC to the, to the rulers of Babylon that called themselves kings of kings and lord of lords. In the Egyptian history, we find the same title, king of kings, lord of lords. And even at that time of Jesus, the Roman emperors, specifically Augustus, called themselves the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There was an Armenian um, a God at the time, or sorry, an Armenian um, ruler at the time that declared himself as a God, um, the Emperor Tigranes. And, and what he declared himself as, it was minted on his coins, was King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And so here comes Jesus and Paul writes, he's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You think, oh, but that's a pagan title. Other pagan gods, you know, those that claim to be God, that were false gods, used that title. So we dare not call Jesus something that a false god called himself before. But if you study Paul's writings, you'll find that he actually uses the names of their gods. At one point, he's standing on Mars Hill in Greece, in Athens, and he says, Here's a statue. Here's an idol that you've erected to the unknown God. Let me tell you who that unknown God is. He uses their idol as a method to preach Jesus. So why do we think we cannot do the same with Christmas and with all these kinds of things? Paul used King of Kings and Lord of Lords as the title of Jesus specifically because it flew in the face of anybody else who ever claimed to be a God but couldn't back it up. And so we showed how Jesus was the true King of Kings and the true Lord of Lords. In other words, rather than abandoning certain aspects of culture, being an avoider, the church is not called to be an avoider. The church is called to be an engager, if there's such a word. We're here to engage with culture. We're here to engage with people's lives. Jesus sat and ate with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the thugs. He didn't avoid them. He wasn't an avoider. He engaged, but he brought the light of the truth. And let me also say this. I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about going out and doing things that the Bible in the New Testament specifically says is contrary to God's will and saying, well, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Of course, we approach this in a healthy and a godly way. But there are some things that we call sin that God wouldn't. Some things that we avoid that Jesus wouldn't avoid. And so what Paul did in the scriptures in writing about Jesus and what the Christians have done, if you know church history, is they didn't avoid the cultures. They didn't avoid the feasts. They didn't avoid the festivals. They hijacked them. They hijacked them. They took them for themselves. They said, oh, on this day, everybody gets together and worships this false God. Let's take that day and make it all about Jesus. They dominated. 
to the point where nobody even remembered what it was originally about. They think it's all about Jesus. I love that. The question shouldn't be how many more things can we avoid? The question should be how many more things can we take over and make about Jesus? How many more aspects of culture in this city can we use to preach the gospel powerfully to people's lives? We had somebody that left our church because we put out an ad saying we're gonna have an Easter service. And Easter, according to them, was a pagan festival and we should have called it the Passover. Now imagine if we were inviting people, because often in Easter what we do is we print these flyers saying come to our Easter weekend, our Easter services, we have Easter egg hunts and we have all kinds of fun. Imagine if we took an Easter flyer and, and what we've done is we took flyers and eggs and we handed out at, the, at, you know, at all the intersections here in the city. We invite people to church. Imagine in, if instead of printing, come to our Easter you know, weekend and our Easter service, we put on the flyer, join us for Passover. How many people do you think? People would be just like, I'm not Jewish. Why would I come to your Passover festival? Like that's not my thing, right? And the Christians in the early church understood this. So they used the momentum of feasts that existed to bring Jesus to the world. This is a powerful thing. Can we have a bunny? Is it okay for us to have an Easter bunny? Is it okay for us to have Easter egg hunts with the kids? That specific guy and that family that I mentioned, he sent me an image. And this is part of the, the thing, you know, if you're gonna send me an image, make sure you do your research first. Because he sent me an image of the Babylonian goddess called Ishtar, spelled I-S-H-T-A-R. And it speaks about how Ishtar, which was the Babylonian goddess of war and fertility, is the origin of Easter. And therefore it's pagan and we should not use the word or celebrate it in any way. And I replied to him saying, thanks for sending me this image, but unfortunately that is incorrect. It's not, Easter is not actually named after the Babylonian goddess of Ishtar. It's no, named after the northern Saxon goddess called Istra, which was the spring goddess, which symbolized um, the spring equinox and, you know, the coming of spring. And her symbols were that of a rabbit or a hare and eggs, symbolizing fertility and newness and spring. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right about the fact that it comes from a pagan goddess, but you're on the wrong continent, all right? It's not, it's not Babylon, it's actually, it actually comes from, from the northern Saxon, northern Europe is where that goddess came from. But here's the thing that's interesting to know about that goddess is that she's a metaphor mentioned once in an obscure poem somewhere in history. There are no records anywhere in the world at all about anyone ever worshiping her. There are no shrines, no temples, no historical accounts of people worshiping her. It was like a metaphor for spring, a personification of spring. The sun rises from the east, bringing the spring. She's Istra, the sun from the east. But it wasn't even somebody that was worshiped. It wasn't even a, a true God. It was a metaphor, like a creative license personifying the, the, the season of spring. But people will leave churches because you use the word. I just feel like that's silly. <laughs> I don't know if you're with me this morning. Like we can save lives. No, I'm not gonna join them in saving lives because they used Easter. I'm out, cheers, you know? 
what are we talking about here? Guess when Christians hijacked the festival of Easter? In 325 AD, while the church fathers were still around. You know, you have guys like Tertullian, who was a disciple of Polycarp. And guess who Polycarp was the disciple of? The Apostle John, all right? So we've got like literally people that may have had actual conversations with the Apostle John. And they're going, hey, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take Easter that everybody's celebrating and we're gonna hijack it. 325 AD, we're gonna make it about Jesus. We're gonna preach the gospel. People are gonna get saved. It's the oldest Christian holiday that was adjusted and redeemed to share the message of Jesus. You're like, Christians can't do that. We can't take pagan, ungodly things and then redeem it and then use it to God's glory. What about you? God did that with you. You were unholy and pagan and godless and He took you and redeemed you and guess what? Now He's using you. So if God can do it with you, why can't we do it with a feast or a festival? One historical source tells us the church may have consciously adapted the new festival of Easter to its heathen predecessor for the sake of winning souls to Christ. Now, I love that church. The first, yeah, that early church sounds amazing to me. I wanna go and join those guys. Like, let's take this thing and let's make it bigger than ever. And let's make it all about Jesus. Rather than avoiding culture, the early church used it to reach more people. What I'm trying to tell you today is that it really doesn't matter what the origin of Christmas is. It doesn't matter whether holly and yuletide and all these things had pagan origins. It also doesn't matter that some people today take Christmas and turn it into something ungodly through secularism and commercialism and, 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 and self-indulgence. Everybody will, you know, the, if I said to you that in a pagan or satanic ritual at some point in history. People used candles to worship the devil. So therefore now, the candle is evil. So you can no longer use candles. Good luck in Joburg with load shedding. No, a candle is pagan because it was once used. You can't have candles in church. Just think about it. We can't use Christmas trees because it was once, once in a time in history, people worship trees. Hey, let's just go after church and let's go chop down the Amazon because once somebody used a tree for a bad purpose, right? The evil is not inherent in the object. It's in the heart. That's the issue here. So it doesn't matter if other people are abusing Christmas time. It doesn't matter that if in the past it had a pagan origin. All that matters is this church. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, including celebrating Christmas, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, just do it to God's glory. If He is the center of your life, and you're using Christmas as an opportunity to tell your kids about Jesus, to give gifts like Jesus gave to us, to meet with your family and love people like Jesus did, it's a great thing. 
We get to redeem it. I want to end with one more passage from the New Testament. I mentioned Leviticus 11 and how in the Old Testament it was God had given the law that certain animals were unclean to eat and certain birds and certain insects and God gave this list of things that were allowed to be eaten and not allowed and that was God's law. God showed these things and and there's a lot of reason behind that but what God then did in the New Testament is that Jesus died on the cross to fulfill the law on our behalf. And we then have the righteousness of God imputed into our lives. In other words, we are righteous. We are right with God, not because we've observed the law, but because we've put our faith in Jesus. And therefore now, there is nothing unclean. There is no food that you can eat that can overcome the blood of Jesus in your life. Back then, if you had some calamari, it says you would be unclean until the evening. But you're not under the law. You're under grace. And God has made all things holy. He created these things. So in the New Testament, he goes ahead and he says this. And this is a story about Peter in Acts 10. In Acts 10, 11, it says, And Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And I always love when I read that. I was like, how hungry was Peter? <laughs> Have you ever, like, sometimes when my wife is making us dinner and I'm, like, proper hungry, I just kind of go into a little bit of a trance on the couch there wait, waiting for her. <laughs> he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. These things were unclean to eat. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Do not call it impure. What God has redeemed is clean. What He has restored is acceptable. Even His own law, the origin of it was, if you do this, it's wrong. He says, but now under, the, under grace, it's no longer forbidden. It's fulfilled in Jesus. Now remember that Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He observed the law more strictly than anyone else and persecuted those who spoke about grace until God reached into his own life. So when you have that context, that makes a scripture like the one I'm gonna read you now even more brazen. Paul's just like, he had the greatest rabbi in all of Israel teaching him, Gamaliel. He was a student of Gamaliel and the best student Gamaliel ever had. He had passion for the law. And he goes and he writes this. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 25, he says, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Don't even ask about it. If it's there, it's shellfish, eat it. If it's a lizard, eat it. If it's a a bird, eat it. Unclean according to the law, but you're not under the law. 
for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And I'm so glad that Paul quotes that scripture because I quoted it in the beginning, Psalm 24.1. And often people will say, okay, that's a bit of a stretch, right? You're taking the earth is the Lord's to, you know, we can, we, we can have Christmas trees and pagan things in our homes. Like, like, but Paul uses it in that way. He says it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. We're no longer clean or unclean according to what we eat, according to which festivals we participate in. We are clean full stop because of the blood of Jesus because of His righteousness. And we're not corrupted. We're not fragile. We're not fickle in our faith. We're not going to be overthrown by having Christmas. We can take it. And I wasn't always like this, just so that you know. There was a time when I thought that if I did the wrong thing, if I read the wrong thing, if I brought the wrong item into my home, I would literally invite demons into my home. In fact, at one point, my neighbor wasn't a really nice lady and I was worried that her demons were gonna come to my house. And I prayed and I said, God, put up a wall spiritually between me and this woman's house so that her demons can't creep over the wall to my house. You see, that's what religion does. It just turns you into an avoider. You know what Jesus would have done? He would have knocked on the door and went and had lunch with her. He would have sat with her. He would have, he would have you know, loved on her. That's what Jesus would have done. But religion turns us into not nice people, avoiders, abstainers. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We're no longer under the law. We're free to partake and honor Jesus. The only question is, if the Bible says, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. The only question is, are you honoring God? And that's an all or nothing statement. You're either honoring God in all of your life or you're not honoring Him in any part of your life. Please don't honor God by not having a Christmas tree in your home, but then you mistreat everybody you meet. You're not honoring God. I'm sorry, you're deceiving yourself. People, <laughs> they live like dogs when it comes to sin, but then they're gonna redeem themselves by not having a tree or not celebrating Christmas. It's just not our faith. Are you honoring Jesus? If your answer is yes, then eat, drink, and be merry. Next week, we'll look at some of the specifics, as I mentioned, Father Christmas and Christmas trees and the 25th of December and all the rest. But for this week, as we prepare for Christmas, as we prepare our meals, as we you know, put up our trees and as we spend time wrapping gifts for our family, can I ask you, church, let's not be weird about Christmas. Let's use it as an opportunity to love people, to reach out to people, to share the gospel to tell people about Jesus. Do you know that more people will go to, Christ, to, to church on Christmas and Easter than any other time of year? Why would we discourage that? Let's honor God in the midst of our culture and finish off by saying, I know I'm talking about Christmas, but this goes much deeper than Christmas. This goes into all these little things. Let's make sure that we're majoring on the majors and avoiding the minors. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me as we pray today?